Our song for today is from Psalm 90. We will read it responsively as far as women and men. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or after you formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. By your anger, by your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our lives are seventy, or even by reason of strength eighty. Yet their span is a horrible trouble. They are soon gone. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our ways that we may get a heart of wisdom. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. So the second to the last Sunday of the church here, in this life cycle of the church, this is getting really close to the end really close to an end. Um, as you get close to end days and you get to close to challenging days, it's, sometimes it's good to have a redirection. Um, and that's going to be the theme for today. And something as you think about this is when you come to church and when you enter the world is the idea of re, excuse me, redirection. And the theme for today is not so much more on the gospel lesson. It's going to have to do with Psalm 90, the Psalms for today. The Psalms are, and for the most part for us, they are songs and they are prayers. They are gifted to the people so that they could, one, know the sovereignty and the power and the awesomeness of God. Just to remember the, the vastness of God. When you look at the stars and you see the gaps in the stars and you start realizing how big the world is, you can start to see how absolutely big and powerful God is because that's what he made. And when you see the smallness of creation and the beauty of the small things in creation, you can see, wow, God not only knows the big stuff, but he knows all the gaps in the middle. That is who God is. And the Psalms help us get there. And the Psalms not only remind us the sovereignty of God, but the Psalms also tell us about our lives. They're written by people like us, just like us. Some days we've done right and we're giving God thanks and praise. Some days we've been small and we've made bad decisions. We're asking God for forgiveness. Some days we're being threatened by things in this world taking our houses, our lives, our family, all the good things that we might enjoy, and we're being threatened, and they pray out to God. That's what these psalms do for us. They are prayers they're for the people, and they're prayers for a gathered people. Almost always the psalms were to be used in a gathering of God's people led by a, 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 a priest of sorts near a temple or a tabernacle, right? A holy place with God's people gathered to remember the greatness of God, the context of life, so we could return to Him. Psalm. Psalms are divided into five books. The kind of echoing, as they put these things together, echoing the five Torah books. 
the books of Moses, the five books. So there's five of those. There's five Psalms. They broke them into categories. You'll know as you're reading through the Psalms, if you just want to read them straight through or listen to them straight through, when you've come from one book's ending to another's beginning, as you get the end of each one of these books, there's going to be a doxology, a praise God statement. And then you know the next book's going to start. The first book of Psalms covers Psalm 1 through Psalm 41. 1 through 41. The second book of the Psalms goes from Psalm 42 to Psalm 72. The next book of Psalms goes from Psalm 73 to Psalm 89. So again, if you look at the end of, if end of 41, the end of 72, Psalm 89, you'll all see the doxologies. You'll know that that's the end of a collection. The fourth book begins with Psalm 90 and ends with Psalm 106. The fifth book is 107 to 150. And if you noticed, we read Psalm 90 today. The psalm for today's assignment, the second to the last day of the church year, Psalm 90. It's a book of psalms that they call the laments. Psalm 90 begins as book of a lament. And a lament's not always a word that we use in, this, um, in our cultures these days. But if you were to ask, if one of the young ones or myself was to ask you, what would you say the word lament means? What would be some of the thoughts that would come to your mind? Anybody over here? Something comes to your mind? Lament. What would it mean? If you were here at 8 o'clock, you could... What's that? Grief? Grief? Something about grief? What else is a lament? Sorrows, regrets. What's that? Complaints. So laments. So sorrows, grief, sorrows. Here's, if you look at a definition of it, it's this. Lament is a passionate expression of a grief, sorrow, loss. A passionate expression of it. When you're lamenting, you're displaying that something has just wrecked you. Lament. Psalm 90, the psalm for today, is the first psalm in the section of psalms about lament. This fourth book of psalms, beginning with Psalm 90, the context of the people is important because when you get into this book of psalms, there's a really good chance from the people who study these books that this book of psalms is for those who are in exile. At this time, the people are in a place of exile. And that is a place of lament. If you think about the context of exile, Babylonian exile for them, what has happened before their exile? Some of the things that have happened is, one, they sent their armies out, and their armies were killed. They sent their sons and their fathers and their uncles and their men, their strong men out with swords and weapons of war, and they were butchered out there because they did it by hand then. It wasn't just from the sky like a video game. It was face-to-face, arm-to-arm, and it was exhausting, and their men died. And when, you've, when you watch the tattered remnants of people coming back, of men coming back, wounded and trying to stay in front of the army that's chasing them down coming, that's lament because your son just died, your husband just died. They are no more. Your heart is broken like it's never been broken before because they've lost in battle. And on top of that, the lament gets deeper because you now know that that army is coming for you. That army is going to wreck all that's left in your land. That army is going to wreck your buildings. It's going to wreck your cities. It's going to wreck your, your children. It's going to wreck your, the women that are left. It's going to wreck the, the aged who can't fight. It's going, to, it's going to be ugly. And then after all that takes place, now they're in exile, so now they've had to leave their lands. You want to know what a heartfelt thing is? Is live someplace your whole life and then be extracted out of that violently and not being able to go home. You can no longer go to the home that used to be home. 
You can no longer eat the food that used to be familiar. You no longer hear the music that used to be familiar, the language that used to be familiar, all that is familiar. Sometimes people that travel to other places, you get a sense of this. All that was your culture, all that was familiar, all that was home is now gone. And they can't go back. That's lament. Them and their children. Their God has been conquered symbolically. It's just all wrecked. Lament, a passionate expression of that. That is what's going on in this context. Psalm 90, people in sub-circumstances now do something in common. What happens to us? What do we do at times when, I mean, if a tornado was to come through and wreck a whole series of our buildings, if, a, if one of our members' body grows tired and expires and returns to the Lord and we're here, what do people do after such times? What do we do? Yeah, you said that early church. Good answer at early church. Good answer at second church. So when, pe- when there's births, families can come together. When there's celebrations, they can come together. But when there's sorrow, when there's hardship, when there's loss, we come together. And what happens when we come together? First thing we do is remember who God is. That's the starting point. We remember the sovereign, powerful nature of God. And then we remember whose we are. We remember the relationship that God. Then we remember each other. We remember the histories of things. And then we get empowered to say, and we're going forward. So in this context of Psalm 90, they have had this lament. They're in this place, and now they're huddling. And the, and the remaining priests of God that have traveled with the people, the, the faithful people of God, they're, they're huddling the people together now in this place. They're going to do just that. They're going to remember who God is, whose they are, and they're going to try to go forward. And that's what this Psalm 90 is going to be doing. It is a redirection. Now, for the sake of knowing it, there's only one psalm in the 150 psalms that's attributed to the man named Moses. That's Psalm 90, the first psalm of Book 5 of Lament. Why Moses? Think about it. All the stories and answers can be coming through your heads. All the Bible studies you've ever heard about, Old Testament and New Testament stuff. Moses, his people were in exile. His people were in a foreign land. And they were suffering, and God heard their suffering. That's good news for us, just starting with that. Is when the people were in Egypt, God heard their cries. When they were crying about their children being abused, when they were crying about their, their, their hard labors, when they were crying about the suffering, they were, they were crying out at the Lord, saying, Lord, help us. Lord, just, I don't know how I can take this one more day. And they were broken, and they were down. God heard their cries. And when they hear Moses, they remember that. They might be exiled over there, but God hears their prayers. God hears their cries. You are not alone. No matter where you are and what you're going through, you are never alone. They remember that with the start of Moses. And then from there, it gets better. Because God not only hears the cries, but then God does something about it. He works across time and eternity. He says, I'm going to act. And he acts. And this Moses comes back from his exile place. He goes to that land. And he says, set the people free. And even though Pharaoh's a knucklehead and he has to send ten plagues, God prevails. Every one of the Egyptian God is defeated. And every time God shows up as the sovereign Lord of all creation. And he prevails. Nine go by and the tenth one is death. And he's even sovereign over that. And his people are set free. They're going to remember that when they're exiled because this is Moses' song. 
right? It's all connected. And then from there, not only the exile, but then when they're getting, when they've finally been set free and the armies are going to come to destroy them, just when you think something in your life is going to wreck you and overcome you and rob you and break your heart and just, you have no way of overcoming it, you can remember how God acted in that Pharaoh's army was drowned out in the sea. Nothing can overcome you. You're a child of God. You pray, you stay faithful, let God do all the heavy lifting. God did the defeat of the armies. And then from there, he gave them power and provisions, food and water through that desert for 40 years, in spite of them being knuckleheads with their behavior, whining and complaining and worshiping other gods and doing all the horrible things they did. God stayed faithful to them. He was merciful, he was slow to anger, and he abounded in steadfast love regardless of the people. That's who they're remembering in this Moses story. So it's, it's, it's important for us to know that this section of laments, when they're in exile, starts with Moses. That in spite of them, God was going to give them or their descendants entrance into this land. They're going to live in homes and cities they did not build. They're going to drink wine from vineyards they did not plant. That God has provided it all for them. Remember that, people. That's what they're stirring up with this Psalm, this Psalm 90. Now there's the next part. I need to have the book. If you have your own Bibles, you can turn them open right now to Psalm 90. If not, we're just going to kind of go through this. Now that we've gotten to this point in the psalm, we're going to look at the actual psalm itself. Psalm 90, it begins with this. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Sovereignty of God, but it's more than that. At this point, it's just not the majesty and again, the power over the universe. It's very personal. Dwelling place. When you go home, you go home and you can rest. Your dwelling place, your home, you can rest. If you're exhausted from work, you can go home and rest. If the world's been ugly and hard and demanding, you can go and you can sit in that chair and listen to your music or sit in that chair and eat a snack or drink a drink and rest. When, when the world's just, all the stuff is swirling, you can go to a safe place. You can close the door and shwoomp, all the bad, all the cold weather's out there and you can come into your warm place. Or all the heat, scorching, withering heat's out in one place. Now you're inside and you're protected. And in there you have your provisions. And in there is where life takes place. Memories of families around tables. Memories of families around playing cards at different places. Memories of families interacting. Rooms where you've cuddled, where you've slept, where you've loved. In your home. Dwelling place. Lord, you have been our dwelling place. In all generations. That's where they start that song. It's a declaration. Yes, my sons have died. Yes, my daughters have been abused. Yes, we have been exiled. Yes, we have lost our economy. Yes, we have lost our homes. Yes, we are in this foreign distant land with not a whole lot of hope of getting home. But Lord, not this world is not my dwelling place. Lord, you are my dwelling place. There's a difference. Bring on the storm. God's my shelter. Take my body, he's got my soul. That kind of dwelling place. This isn't gentle and fluffy, this is serious. It's beautiful. And then it goes on, let's go to verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are yesterday when it's past. That is the timelessness of God. He knew us before we were born, he knows us upon our return. He's got every breath in the gap, and he's known that for generations upon generations. From before the stars were born until the time the stars are extinguished, God is. That is a declaration of the sovereignty and the power and the majesty of God. 
And it has nothing to do with the context of the, the little kings and queens on this planet. It's all about God. It goes there next. Next, it would say, uh, let's go to verse 8. You have, set up, you have set our iniquities before us, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Yes, God knows you. He's all this, he loves you and he's all this power, but he actually knows you. And he knows your motives. He knows your motives. That's the scary part. He just doesn't know your actions that he can see. He knows our motives. He knows what's in our hearts. He knows what's in our dreams. He knows us. He knows me. And he knows I'm full of sin. He knows I'm lazy. He knows I lack faith. I have fear. He knows I'm greedy. He knows I'm, um, I have pride. And I have malice at times. The list of those things is there and he knows that. But it doesn't end there. Even though he knows us, it goes on to the request. So teach us. So having admitted this and having made our confession, the very next piece is teach. Lord, you know me, you loathe my sins, you know my fears, you know my laziness, you know my aggression, you know all the stuff about me. Fine, you know it. So now what, Lord? So now teach me. Don't let me stay here. I want to fight. Give me the strength to fight. Open my head to know your will. Teach me to number my days, that I know my life is short and it's going to end back with you. And when I face you, how did I live my life? Teach me how to live my life. Teach me to know it's not about me and I'm not God and I'm not in control. This body is going back to the dirt. And when it does, I meet you face to face. Teach me then, Lord, how to number my days, how to live my days according to your honor and your glory. I will not be afraid and timid and worried in this place. You are the sovereign God. And then from there it goes, return, O Lord. Don't stay away. Please come back to me. Actually, Lord, draw me to you. Teach me about you now, Lord. Draw me back. It's like, God, God, give me a hug. I am broken and I'm defeated. I'm in this horrible place. Lord, come back. It's dark here without you. It's cold here without you. There's no life without you. Lord, come back. Verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Satisfy, what a word that is. Your steadfast love. Lord, I'm not going to, my car, I'm going to spend all this money on. It's going to last me about eight to nine years if I'm good to it. And then it's going to go right back to the junk heap. So why am I investing all my time in this car? Lord, let me be satisfied in you. Lord, this house, I'm going to build it. I'm going to spend all this money and all this time keeping it up. And I'm going to be gone. Who's going to live in it next? How many years before it's just burnt down in some fire or wrecked in a tornado or just blown up? What? Lord, it's going to go back to termite dust. Why? Lord, no, no, no. Let me be, let me be satisfied in you, Lord, in, your, in who you are, not this creation you've made. Satisfied. Next one, make us glad. So now that they, I mean, think about it. The people in exile, they've already done that. They've lost everything that they worked so hard for. What can they find satisfaction in that moment? When you have nothing left, your only satisfaction is going to be a relationship with your Lord. Knowing that He loves you and He forgives you and He's prepared a place for you. So really, in the end, that's what we got. Last two pieces on here. Make us glad for the days you've afflicted us. Can you say a prayer of thanksgiving when you've been diagnosed with terminal cancer? Can you say a prayer of thanksgiving when half of your face is dropped down because you've had a stroke? Can you say a prayer of thanks when you're burying a son or a daughter? That's what they're asking for. Lord, you've afflicted us, but nothing in this world is greater than you, and I'm still going to be glad in you, and I'm going to give you thanks and praise. 
Nothing in this life is greater than you. Not death, not life, nothing. You might take us now. You might have defeated my son in battle, but I will see him again. You are the God of all the life. This is a huge declaration in a time of deep lament, friends. Make us glad even when we are afflicted. You've lost your job. You're losing your house. Your family's come unraveled. Lord, I'll come to you. Bring my family together. Make us faithful and steadfast in you. That's this song. Last verse on this one. Establish the work of our hands. That comes right back to talents. The work of our hands. Who has God made you to be? There's only one of you. If you don't tell someone you know that you love them, who's going to tell them? If you don't stand up and sing, who's going to sing? If you're going to step back and be safe in the confines, you're being a coward. And God said, step forward, use your talents. I did not gift you with your intelligence and your capacity to love and all the skills I've given you to, not to put them to work for my people and in my kingdom. That is the purpose of that. Your talents. As you're getting close to the end days, be more sensitive to this. The darker that world gets, the more you have the chance to shine your light. We will not follow the ways of the evil. We will not be small. We will not go down quietly. We will be God's people. We will be God's people. We will be who he made us to be. It's beautiful. When I use those tools the way they're made me use, it's almost like they're laughing, like they're having fun. If I'm using them the way they're not supposed to be used, they break and they cry on us. Be used the way God's empowered you to be used. And celebrate in that. Discover what it is. Discover what God has gifted you and then pray, God, give me courage and wisdom to apply it. Use your talents. Psalm 90 is connected to the gospel lesson after all. So as you think about these things, as you go forth this week, don't have to repeat it. You've heard it. Pray that you put it to work. Pray that we will be that church. Pray that we, individually and collectively, will be God's church. That we will know who He is and we will make Him known. All the other stuff is distractions. We will know who He is and we will make Him known. And we will use our talents to His purpose and His glory. God help us be that church. Amen.